Have a seat if you would. Kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. I want to, uh, want to let you guys know about something that's coming on Thursday. We announced it last week in, uh, at the end of our service, but I want to mention it again this morning. Uh, at the Refuge Church, a church that we kind of partner with a little bit um, uh, in St. Charles, there's going to be a solemn assembly of prayer. And uh, 7 o'clock on Thursday night, uh, it, basically what it amounts to is five or six or maybe even seven churches at this point are gathering together with a few of the folks uh, from their congregations to, to just have a time, about an hour, lasting an hour, in prayer and uh, petition of God to come and, and be a part of our city. There's going to be prayer and repentance and uh, a focus on God coming and healing our city. Um, and churches from kind of all over the metro area, we're going to meet at the, this church in St. Charles. Uh, more information, find me after the service. I can give you some uh, specific instruction on, on where the, the Refuge Church actually is. So to basically take 70 and turn left on 5th Street and you'll kind of run into it um, there on like the, the river road thing or whatever out by the family arena. Anyway, so that's Thursday night, 7 o'clock. I want to invite everyone to come and be a part of that. In light of that, um, we've, uh, the elders have kind of decided to take the first few weeks of, of the year to push our minds towards prayer. And as like that was like the idea to begin with, but I think more of like this message, this sermon this morning this is what the thing that's been ringing in my head, is less about prayer than it is about intimacy with God. And I think that our minds, when, we, when, when I say I'm going to preach a message about prayer, or we're going to go into a, a, this night of, of prayer on Thursday night, when, when I think about that, we think of dear God and then say some things, and then amen, and then that's, that's the end of it. Um, but I think that may be, that understanding of prayer and what it is may be one of the reasons that we don't deeply engage prayer at best or at worst that we don't really pray much. Because um, I think for, for me, and, and I'm a pastor holding a microphone preaching a sermon, so theoretically I would have some, some concept of what prayer was, right? Theoretically, thank you. Um, but for me, many times, and, and I hope this gives you permission to, to be this way and be honest with yourself about it and be honest with people around you about it. Many times prayer is a, is a chore and a challenge and I'll wake up early some morning to, to pray and I go to the place in my house where I, I pray consistently and I'll, I'll read a psalm and, or, and it'll just be like, dear God, And, and like my mind is distracted or my mind can't think or, or my mind begins to pray and then I, I wander off into, I, I wonder what's going to happen with this meeting that I have in a couple hours today. I wonder what's going to, and, and my mind is distracted there. And I think that's because we feel like we need to be talking all the time in our prayers and we need to have a list of things that we're working on and we need to, to walk through like the prayers of like Isaiah or Nehemiah or, or even Jesus, and, and we need to like have this checklist of things to do, and then it becomes 
redundant. But, but ultimately, here's, here's what, what I, I want to take from us, want us to take from this message this morning, that prayer is, is not so much you talking to God as it's a path to intimacy with God. And here's the thing. You and I, our souls, were created for the main purpose of having intimacy and relationship with God. But there is a a brokenness that's in us and a brokenness that's in our world that wars and, and labors against that intimacy. And so we have to be diligent to get back to that place. And I think as we walk through this message this morning, we'll begin to understand that that diligence is really something that, that God has already done and provided for and for us to just kind of connect with. So I guess, I guess the, the thing that I'm, I'm trying to say is our hope, or my hope, my prayer for this message this morning is that it's not about teaching you how to pray as much as it is showing you a path to intimacy with God that you were, in fact, created for. Um, and it's rooted in grace and God-initiated movements. So I want to bring in front of us uh, three things this morning. First, at the very top, is the idea that God is your Father. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 11. Uh, it'll also be on the screen above me, uh, behind me as well. Uh, Luke chapter 11. This passage that I want to read, Luke eleven thirteen through 15, comes at the conclusion of Jesus. His disciples ask him how, to, how we should pray. He goes through the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, all that stuff. And at the conclusion of that, he says this, and it's important for us to connect with. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? At the very top of prayer, the first thing that Jesus says when he talks about prayer is we are to address God as Father. And then here, at the end of this address teaching us how to pray, he says, if you give good gifts to your kids, what do you think God is going to do? And here, this is what... Um, my, kind of my, my routine on a Sunday morning is... <clears throat> wake up and Cooper and I come here and I spend just a little bit of time in, in quiet reflection on what the sermon is going to be. And I kind of walk through my notes a little bit and make sure the stuff on the screen is, is right. And so basically you can turn around and see Cooper sitting back there. That's the seat I sit in and he's sitting in it now. And, and he and Trey are sitting in like the back row playing with their phones or something. And this morning... <clears throat> Uh, I'm doing that, and I'm thinking about this idea of father. I'm thinking, and I read through that passage, that a father giving his son good gifts, and if a kid asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No. If, and, and I think, you know, it's just Christmas season, right? And we gave my, my son some gifts, and, and I, I think about, like, how much I love my son 
and like he, he, he frustrates me sometimes and he makes me really happy sometimes. And honestly, this is what, um, I can tell you this, some of the, the, the happiest moments of my 2013 or 2014 were like when he made a three in his basketball game a few weeks ago. Or when he does really cool stuff, when, when he like asks his sister for forgiveness, who he just, that just drives him crazy. And to watch him like, uh, like walk in the gospel, nothing makes my heart happier than that. And, and I think about that, and this is me wandering, these, these are my thoughts this morning when I'm work, thinking about fatherhood and I'm looking at my son he's just looking in the back of his head and and I'm for those of you who are dads you can connect with with this and this is at the heart of prayer is this idea that you have a God who calls you to call him father at the beginning of prayer at the beginning of Jesus teaching about prayer he says God is Father, and at the end of it, he says, there are good dads on this planet, but you are evil people. What is a, what is a good, thoroughly good God going to do? He's going to give to you. He is your Father. Um, Tim Keller says this about God being a Father. God is my Father, and he is totally for me without hesitation on his part. He is holy and completely for my good. Think about the ramifications of that for just a second. Just let your mind think about that. I talked about how much I love my son and how much it does my heart happy to, and, and what I want for him and the gospel that I want to, to, to speak into him and for him to be, for her to be planted into him. And this, and, and I'm a, like, I have to confess, I've, I've, you've, I've confessed to you guys, I've confessed to my, my kids all the time. I'm a, I really long to be a good dad, and I fail consistently. But God never does, and he is, he is our father. And so think about the idea that God is my father, and he is totally for me without hesitation, always. And think about the ramifications of that. God is, is all-powerful, and he is all-good, and he is always for you at all times without hesitation. Do you know that only one time in Scripture, only once in Scripture, does Jesus refer to God as anything other than Father? That's uh, profound. The only time I can think of that I've seen is when he's on the cross and he proclaims, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in Scripture where he doesn't refer, when he's speaking, when he's addressing God, he doesn't refer to him as Father. And the cue that we take from that is, is twofold. One is when we pray, we pray from the position that we are his child and he is our Father who has our best interest in mind. So when we pray, we have that mindset from that position do you understand what I mean when I say position? When we have that position, our, our, our frame of mind, the lens through which we view God when we pray is that he is Father. And the, the, the second idea is that 
he is good to us and wants to give good to us. And that has to, to color and paint the way that we think and the way that we pray. Because frankly, most of us, unchecked, can think of God as boss. I want you to look through, listen to this. If God is boss, he is not committed to me. He is only committed to me when I'm performing or producing. But God isn't boss, he's father. I want you to let that one sit for a minute because ultimately that's left unchecked without messages like this, without the Holy Spirit speaking to us, without reading passages like Luke eleven thirteen through 15, without 11 through 13, without connecting there, this is where we, we can tend to be towards God. He is boss and not father. And if he's boss, we only have relationship with him if we are producing, if we are performing. Think about your jobs. If you just stop doing your job, what happens? You get called in by the boss. You have to sit in his office, her office. You get yelled at. It happens too frequently. You're gone or in, and you're scared. You're nervous about what that relationship is going to be like. And, and are you going to keep your job? I didn't meet my goals. didn't meet my numbers this year. I'm, I'm struggling. So we impose that mindset on God. And it's dangerous because we impose that mindset in prayer. Because... We are insufficient in prayer. We are insufficient in sin. We are insufficient in life. And thus, we don't perform. We don't produce all the time. And so when we come to God in prayer, thinking of him as boss, from that position, if we have failure in our hearts and in our minds and in our recent past, we're going to not perform. We're not going to engage there. You, is, it, is it when you, if there's a particular sin that you struggle with, and if you've struggled with that sin very recently. How easy, how hard is it to pray? Let me give you a hint. That wasn't rhetorical. Feel, feel free to respond. How hard is it to pray when you stumble with a particular sin consistently? How hard is it to pray the next time you, you sit down to pray? Hard or easy? Hard. Thank you. Why is that? Because in our stupid brains, we think God is our boss and not our father. When my son or my daughter, daughters are, have, have screwed up, have messed up, have done something really bad, all that I want for them is to, to come to me and say, Dad, I'm sorry, forgive me. And all that I want to do in that moment is shower grace upon them. Can we please see God as Father and not our boss? And this is the thing that is hard for us because... There's a lot of you that had really bad fathers. So for me to look upon God the way I look upon my father is a bad thing. But go back to our passage. Go back to our passage, please. If you then who are evil... The father that you have, no matter how good or how bad he is, he is a fallen, sinful, evil man. But God gives good gifts all the time to those who ask him. 
So, to think of God the Father, we can, here, here are three scenarios. We can think, we can see philosophically that these are true, that God is Father or he is not. Philosophically and practically, all right? So if, if it's philosophically true, but not practically true for us, we are disjointed, we are confused, we don't know how to operate in prayer. If, we, if God is Father for us and it's philosophically untrue and practically untrue, we run from God, we, keep him, we, we don't even engage because he's, he's not Father to us. But if God is philosophically true, God is Father philosophically and practically, what, how, how does that change how we pray? It's, it's got to change it. It's got to allow us to be who we are in prayer. A good God that is Father, that is for us all the time, that is not our boss but our Father, if we philosophically and practically believe that, every second of every day is prayer. Because, remember, this message is not so much about prayer as it is intimacy. And prayer is not so much about, dear God, blah, 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 amen. It is about intimacy. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing yourself. It's about being exposed to all those things and getting back to the place where God created our souls to be, and that's intimate with him, with the full knowledge that we are broken people living in a broken world that wars against that intimacy. This is prayer. The second thing that I want us to see about prayer is we need to incorporate the Word of God in our prayer. Tim Keller says this. I'm going to hit a few quotes at you. A profitable prayer life is impossible without God's Word. Eugene Peterson, an older author, says this. We only pray well if we are immersed in God's Word. Peterson also says our prayer lives would be immeasurably enriched if we were immersed in God's Word. Um, this little document booklet thing was produced by our church uh, January two years ago, January 2013. You guys remember seeing this. Um, it's also online, and there's a bunch of copies back there. This is Praying the Psalms. Um, it's the Psalms, a guide to prayer. But the idea is, is that we would pray, literally pray, the Psalms. And uh, this booklet is back there for you to take. But the idea is that uh, one of the habits that I've kind of gotten into is praying the Psalms every day. So if it's the, the month dictates the, the tens place of, of what I'm reading and the day dictates the the ones place of the psalm that I'm reading. So if it's February 5th, I'm reading Psalm 25. Follow? 2-5. You follow me? All right, thank you. Some of you do. All right, today, guess what it was? The 4th, yes. Well, you got to start at the beginning. I'm sorry, so 14, right. You, all right, anyway, whatever. <laughs> the point is, give yourself a strategy to pray through the entire psalm. All of the Psalms, all right? And uh, the idea is the Psalms are so full of God that we get this big, grand perspective of who he is. 
And so here's what I do. I, I go to the psalm. I, I, before I read it, I pray, God, would you connect my heart with a phrase here in this, in this particular scripture, this particular passage. Some of them, like Psalm 119, is like pages and pages long. And some of them are like three, four sentences long, very short. But what I do then is I go and I read the psalm and I, I find a phrase that jumps out to me. Um, in this booklet here, there is, uh, you, can, you maybe see it from where you're sitting, there are a couple of journal entries, just pictures that I took of, of my journal there, and then another one here, which basically show uh, how I was walking, I explain what, what's happening in, in each one of those psalms. So, I will, something going on in my world, combined with a phrase that I hear there, and that becomes my prayer for the day. And I pray in that moment that God would allow that phrase, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's three words, whatever, that God would allow that to just ring in my head throughout the day, and that would be my prayer for him. And the beautiful part about the Psalms is there are, David writes most of the Psalms, and I'm convinced that there was some sort of schizophrenia in David. I'm not kidding. Uh, because you can read the Psalms, one, one Psalm, David is, God, you are great, I love you, you're the greatest thing ever, I praise your name. And then turn the page, the very next Psalm is, where are you, God? You've left me. I can't find you anywhere. My soul is bereft of peace. My soul is, is distraught within me. And then the very next page, God, you're great, I love you. God, I'm distraught. God, you're great. And the, the, the the point is, is that as we read through the Psalms methodically, we see the whole of God and we see the whole of man's response to the whole of God. And we have privilege and right and authority and permission to be angry at God, to be confused with God, to be honest with God because The point of prayer is not, dear God, a bunch of stuff, amen. The point of prayer is intimacy with God, to expose who he is and then have that expose who we are and have us understand the relationship that's going back and forth. And praying the word of God helps us there. And and helps is a a weak word. It it is the whole of our relationship with him because God is is speaking to us, revealing his, his kindness, his goodness, his, um, his vengeance, his mercy, his grace, his peace, his hope. When we pray the word of God, when we use the word of God in our prayers, we speak well towards who he is. Um, Martin Luther says this. This is what's, by the way, this, is, this was a really cool moment for me because I hadn't read this quote until this week. And... Um, this quote that Luther says is basically the idea behind this booklet, praying the Psalms. So like God brought me to a place that he also brought Martin Luther to. That's like really affirming to me. Uh, he says this, do not take too much upon yourself, lest your spirit get tired. This is Martin Luther used to pray like six hours a day. Do not take too much upon yourself, lest your spirit get tired. It is sufficient to take one part of a Bible verse, or even half a part, from which you can strike a spark in your heart. 
the soul, if it is directed to one thing, can think more in a moment than the tongue can speak in ten hours or the pen can write in ten days. Do you see the, what he's getting at there? Find a simple phrase in a simple psalm. And then just allow your mind to be taken by the Spirit. This is prayer. It's not always, dear God, please help ants, whoever, blah, 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 amen. This is God giving you his very word through the Psalms, through any scripture. And allowing a simple phrase, Luther says, half a part of a verse to ignite a spark in your heart and create the love and create intimacy in your heart for who he is. Do you, do you see the beauty of all of this? Let's just back up to, to 10,000 feet for a second. There is a holy, mighty, wonderful God who wants to be in relationship with you. That's baffling to me. And here are the tools to intimacy with him. Think of him as father. Think of him as a good father who is holy for you. All the time. Think of him who is a father who has given you his word to speak to a nice spark in your life so you can understand who he is. Keller says, if the Holy Spirit would come and preach to your heart, be quiet and listen. Part of our problem with our prayer lives is we don't know when to shut up. We don't know when to stop talking. When God explodes something in your heart, ignites a spark in your heart, as Luther said, Keller says, engage that. Be quiet and listen. Note what he proclaims. Write it down so that you can experience the miracles, as David says in Psalm 119, 18, where he says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. As you engage God, as you allow Scripture to speak to you, stop, ponder, think, write, pray, chase a rabbit. The final thing, and perhaps the most important thing for us, is repentance. Probably the biggest block to our intimacy with God is sin that's in ourselves and in our hearts. Um, I want to read a couple of passages from Isaiah. And remember, this sermon is not so much about prayer as it is about intimacy with God. And our souls were created for intimacy with him. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high And lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. He's engaged, Isaiah has engaged the very presence of God. And here's his response. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we really engage God on the level that I'm talking about, understanding Him as Father, using the Word of God to formulate and and create and be our prayers, we engage Him on an intimate level. And when we do that, the response is, woe is me, to see our own sin and see the sin of the people where we're, where we're living. Those are easy things to do if we, if we try, if we work at it a little bit. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean, a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is repentance. This is the heart of it. I'm sinful, God. Please save me. I'm in trouble here. And real prayer ought to bring us to this point. But the beautiful part is verse 6. It's grace. It's God being the active one. The seraphim flew to me. The messenger of God flew to him. Having his hand, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken out with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. So, like, practically, this is like some movie image that you've just seen. Like, the temple is filled with smoke and crazy birds, angels are flying around. It's weird smoke. It's strange. But the... The thing that 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 image is creating is a truth that's real for us. As we go to a place, I I literally pray in my closet or my shower. You may have a place where you literally go to and you pray. As you go to that place, this is literally what's happening. You are engaging, from on a spiritual level, you are engaging a holy and perfect God who desires for you to call him and see him as father, who has given you his word to pray back to him, He engages with you, and the response of us is, woe is me. But that's not the end of it. The response of God to woe is me is coming and atoning for your sin. So the point is, never, ever, ever let your sin or brokenness of your world or that's in your heart distract you for even a second from entering into intimacy with the Father because it's all been atoned for. And it's so perfect and beautiful. But the problem is we're so stupid and we, don't, we philosophically believe that, but we don't practically believe that. And so when we engage in our prayer times, we say, Dear God, and then we're reminded of all the sin that is in our heart or all the sin that's around us in our shoulder slump, and we get distracted and we walk away defeated. God does not give you intimacy with him to walk away defeated. He wants you to engage with him. We were created to be in perfect relationship with him. And anything that tears and wars at that is not of him. Because your sin has been atoned for, finally and completely and wholly. Because you have a father who is not only good, he's also capable. And it is earth-shattering. Later on in Isaiah, 
Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 and 18. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. I want you to to take this verse into your closet, wherever it is, whatever it is. Maybe it's your car driving to work. Maybe it's in the showers. You're getting ready for work. Maybe it's in your closet, literally, who knows. But take this verse into that. In repentance and rest, you, be, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. And then this is the beautiful part, the, the perfect, like, this is, if, if 2014, you have something rattling in your brain, buoying you in this world, in this life, may it be this. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Here, let's apply Luther's quote. Take a half a part of a verse. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. May that be our prayer. May that be our, the practical prayer of our lives. As you enter into your prayer clause, as you, you drop to your knees by the side of your bed or whatever it is, may that phrase change everything about the way that you pray. Even the way you think about prayer. God is there waiting to be gracious to you. That's incredible. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Let's pray and then get a chance to respond to our God. Lord, you are you are beautiful. God, I pray that we would see you as Father. I pray that we would see your word as a mighty tool given to us to pray back to you. And as you've just done in the last minute, you've exploded the truth of that simple phrase that Isaiah wrote, the Lord waits to be gracious to us. God, would that ring in our hearts and would you write Use your Holy Spirit to write in our hearts such wonderful things of beauty. And we would philosophically and practically know that you, as we go to you in prayer, are waiting there to shower grace upon us. Stuff that we do not deserve, you're waiting to give to us as only a good and capable Father would do. Father, guide us into this next season of our lives with this idea that you are waiting to be gracious to us. You are beautiful and holy and mighty and awesome and perfect. And you 
desire relationship and intimacy with us, waiting to be gracious to us. Guide us now as we respond to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.